hello and welcome to the gamesindustry.biz podcast. I am your uh, somewhat reluctant host, Matt Handrahan, and today I'm joined by... The equally reluctant Brendan Sinclair. The equally reluctant Marie D'Alessandri. And the highly enthusiastic Chris Green. Uh, I don't... I don't believe you. Uh, yeah, so the reluctance that all but Chris expressed, I think, is tied to... We'll address the elephant in the room that, you know, on, on this week, I think the, the main subject to talk about would be another wave of abuse allegations that have um, kind of swept through the industry since last weekend. Obviously, that's a huge problem. It's, a, it's an endemic problem, an institutional problem, and one that we've covered in some detail on the site. Um, we... We feel that this is not the correct forum for discussing that, or at least not the best forum. And I will include links to all of our coverage in the show notes. So anyone who does want to go and read some of the, the more measured thoughts and uh, more considered arguments, they're out there. But um, yeah, so t- today we're going to kind of deal with the other the other issues of the week. But, but our reporting is well worth reading and just understanding more about what's going on is well worth doing. Um, but to uh, the show today. Um, so this week also saw the Game Lab Live conference. Game Lab is a, a Spanish developer conference that we work with on a yearly basis. And this year it had a couple of, well, several really good speakers, one of which was Sean Layden, who, who gave, a, gave an interview um, in which he talked a little bit about the, the kind of the current state of AAA games. Specifically, the tendency that AAA games have shown over the last, well, forever, to get bigger and bigger and longer and longer and more and more expensive. Uh, and his basic argument was that he sees that the model is just not sustainable, which is to say that at this point in time, in the current generation, a AAA game costs somewhere between $80 million and $150 million. And uh, his he posited that whatever they cost with on the new hardware, it's not going to be less expensive than the current hardware. So as he said, 4K, HDRR and creative worlds don't come cheap. Um, and he said that he doesn't see that as being sustainable in the long term. Um, I think he said more, but I think we can move on to that. I think uh, uh, just just as a first point, we can just take that. Are AAA games uh, and the, the way in which they have progressed over you know, people on this podcast have been working in the industry for 10 years plus. So we, we've kind of seen that trajectory. Does it feel sustainable to, to any of you? No. No. <laughs> well done, Sean. You got it right. Yeah, well, you can't. Um, <laughs> you're you're going to have to do better than, than just one. Well, that's, not, that's not the way this works. Uh, he, uh, Chris, you, you were about to... No, I, I was starting to write an opinion piece about this, and I, I never finished it. But um, he was, um, I mean, he's talking about the fundamental business challenging, uh, underpinning the AAA console market. I mean, the number of... Uh, you know, this is the thing. This is I was looking at the numbers. Like the Xbox PS2 generation, those two consoles sold 180 million, pretty much. Xbox 360, PS3, 170 million. The current generation's on about 150 million, maybe a bit more. Um, and the console market hasn't. You know, Nintendo. That's never an exact science because there's Nintendo involved somewhere, and then there's you know people buying games. But that market hasn't grown. Console market hasn't really grown at all. Um, the price of games has stayed the main the same. Um, but the price, the cost of games is going up and up and up. They're taking longer and longer and longer. And, and you know, a laden point, you know, this is causing, it means that, you know, there's less risk, fewer games. Um, and uh, and then you get into situations where, um, uh, uh, you know, you, this is why microtransactions are now in games and players don't like that. It's why uh, games are becoming more uh, predictable. Um, but... Uh, I'm not entirely sure, though, that the solution is to make short of games. Well, I mean, it might be the solution, but I don't... I, gamers do want longer games. They, they do sell better than shorter games. Um, we, I mean, the reaction on Twitter was pretty much... It sort of told the story. You had loads of people saying, I won't spend $60 on a game under 20 hours, right? And it's... But then at the same time, you also had a generation of people sort of praising Sean for saying all the things that they believe in, which I well, thought was quite interesting. Yeah, the thing is that we can't allow a contradiction like that to just be let stand, right? That if we agree... Because we're saying here that this trajectory is unsustainable, but you're also kind of suggesting there that it just has to be allowed to continue. And that's... Uh, that's an illogical standpoint, right? Like if it's unsustainable, it's because everything will collapse if it's allowed to go on. So on some level, it's not really about what consumers want. It's about what has to happen, right? So one one of the concessions we've seen is the implementation new monetization methods, which the same people that 
would insist on long ago, but also insist weren't there. So we're dealing with an illogical consumer base to some degree as well. You're right. There are a few things that game developer publishers are trying. One of them is the microtransaction model, which is not going down especially well. The other thing is um, they're now waking up to trying to widen um, the audience for console games, AAA games. Right. And that's where streaming's coming from. And that's why they're pushing into new markets. And that's also why it's good. Some of it's good. You know, this is why some of our game developers are trying to make their games more diverse, because hopefully it can expand to more people, reach more people, become the bigger industry. It makes everything a bit more sustainable. If we can have more people buying these games, then the cost rising doesn't become too much of an issue. I think, though, I, I would argue that also Sean Layden's right in that, though, if they did make shorter games, that would also widen the audience for AAA games. Because I think there is a generation of people who are aging out of games. Actually, I don't even think it's, a, I think it's like, I mean, anyone's surprised by that. There's people who will get to the get to mid-20s, early 30s, whatever, and they just go, I don't have time for this anymore. And, and, I, and I really think it's a weird thing that we as an industry let that happen, that we let engaged gamers go, oh, I'm not going to. Um, um, uh, you know, I don't have time to play Assassin's Creed anymore. I love Assassin's Creed, but it's too long. I've got too much life stuff to do. I don't have time to play this game. And then you just let them go. Um, and when you think about what's happened this during the coronavirus situation, where console sales are just skyrocketing, right? You know, Switch, PS4 and Xbox One sales are skyrocketed. And I have, there's no data to back this up. But I wouldn't be surprised that the majority of those people, or even a lot of those people, who are buying consoles during this lockdown are people that used to play console games and now they've finally got the time to play them. So are we to assume then, because that seems to paint a picture to me that the AAA industry, because we are really talking about the AAA industry here. I saw mm. so a lot of people on Twitter misconstrue this argument. I think one person said, took the, the quote from Sean Layden talking about, you know, how about just spend three years on a 15-hour game rather than, uh, you know, five years on a 50-hour game. And someone said, well, cut that in half and you've got indie development. But, but that's not the case. If you cut that in half, it would be two years. It would, the, the development budget would still be sort of $30 million. Sean Aiden was talking about AAA. What, what it seems to suggest to me is that the AAA industry is still fundamentally markets to the same fairly narrow range of people and their tastes, which is to say the assumption is that games have to get bigger and bigger and bigger in order to satisfy people. But what you're saying there, Chris, is there's actually quite a lot more going on in the console market than that now. And I, and I personally can identify with the feeling of really not wanting to play games that are longer than 15 or 20 hours at the moment. So things getting bigger is a turnoff for me. Increasingly, I don't play those games. And I, but, but I am a regular buyer of games. And if there were more of the games that Sean Layden was talking about, I think I would buy more regularly as well. And so I am the market too. But they, I, I just don't ever feel like the AAA market ever, the AAA publishers ever think about a person like me anymore. I think there's, there's more and more, um, there's more and more a thing where games can be shorter if you want to. Let me explain what I mean by that is like, there are those AAA games that can be extremely long, but can also um, be appreciated as a shorter experience. I think God of War is a good example because I did the critical path of God of War in about 15 hours, but you can easily spend twice as much time on that. But I didn't want to because I thought it worked better as a shorter experience. And I think there is an appetite here for shorter games. And there are some AAA examples um, that can appeal to both markets, to the market of people like me who want to maybe have a more focused and shorter experience, but to also people who want those very long experiences for like 30, 50 hours. Um, mm. So, yeah. That is that is true, but, it, but, but of course, that God of War still costs what a 50-hour game costs. So yes, I, guess, I guess if it ends up selling to both groups of people, maybe it balances out, but that kind of forgets the economical aspect of what Layden's saying. But I think the interesting thing what Layden was saying is he's talking about it from every direction. Like economically, it makes sense. And it also is a kind of experience that isn't really out there for a kind of gamer that is increasingly out there. It's something that I, I feel um, publishers think about every few years. And it becomes sort of a trendy little like talking point, and and you get something like Hellblade um, from a few yeah. years ago, or you get maybe now it kind of looks like Star Wars Squadrons might be sort of in that that sort of area of like here is something with AAA production values, which I think is mostly what what people mean when they talk about AAA. They just 
they want to see all the money that you plastered into the game on the screen. Um, and and I, I think while we see these attempts to do it every few years and so they produce some success stories, I don't think they they speak to any kind of idea that this is the format that people are really wanting. It's like they're successful because they were these one-off creative things that, that really kind of the, the price point and the production values and the format and length all just kind of happen to work together well there. It's, it's not like if you can just put together a 15-hour experience that looks nice there's a huge market there that's completely untapped at this point. I, I think a lot of people are just, they're either like Chris is saying, getting discouraged by like, well, all these AAA games now require too much time, too much investment. Uh, and, and they kind of leave the industry, uh, leave gaming or, or they just, I mean, sort of like me, I guess it's like, well, I don't want to pay $60 for an 80 hour game knowing I'll never finish it. So I will just, you know, wait and then pick it up dirt cheap when I think it's worth the 10 or 15 hours that I expect to put into it down the line. It's hard to compete against, you know, last year's big AAA hotness with, you know, a, a smaller, smaller scale title like that. Mm, that's true. I mean, you, it's actually a good point. And, actually uh, a good point. Before. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's something that wasn't, I wasn't in my head. I was going to respond to Marie's point about um, the fact that you can, there are most, I don't, know, I don't know if it's most, but there are lots of AAA games that are 100 hours that you can actually do really quickly. In the new Zelda, right? I spent 140 hours in that game. You can actually complete it in about 20 if you really want to. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why you do that. But yeah, I completed Fallout 3 really quickly. Like, must be 15 hours. So there are examples of that. But of course, that isn't what goes on the back of the box. That isn't what's in the marketing spiel. And that, and still, it's really off-putting to somebody that's really time poor. But, but to Brendan's point, you, you, it's true. You know, you can if you release a 15-hour experience of $60 and you think, oh, it's interesting, and then you're competing against... Um, last year's, or, or even the, you know, that's the reason why that's the reason why game publishers tend to not release games in January because all of the Christmas games are now <laughs> discounted, and you're competing with Call of Duty and and, and but, Battlefield. Yeah. And, but I do think that but, was sort of baked into what Layden was saying. He was saying that you you spend a lot less money on these shorter games, right? So, I, I, one of one of the trends that was noted, and I, I kind of put this into the piece that I wrote about it. It wasn't in the talk, but. The Last of Us is 15 hours, 12 to 15. The Last of Us Part 2 is 25 to 30. First game took three and a half years, second game took six. Obviously, it's going to have cost a lot more as well. I think the question is just why? Like, why is it so much? Why is it twice as long? Why did it take twice as long? Uh, does that... Obviously, it's a great game, so in a way, it's not the ideal example, but... I mean, I thought The Last of Us probably could have been benefit from being two or three hours shorter. It would have been a better thing. I mean, I know what you're saying about Fallout, but like, we're not really dealing with RPGs. I mean, even Layden himself was really talking about action-adventure games and how it's just that kind of game, which used to be the preserve of large publishers. Used to, EA used to make these games and Activision used to make these games. They used to be a lot more frequently from, from Microsoft and Sony. They just don't really exist anymore or they're all open world or they take 60 hours when actually the, the the extra heft is what he was arguing all it is is more expensive it doesn't necessarily deliver more and you could make it for less sell fewer copies and just have more kind of safer bets out in the market yeah I, you know what though that's a so there's a thing that i remember particularly towards the end of the ps3 360 era there was a thing about how even all the single player games were in trouble because of the pre-owned market, right? If a game is 10 hours long, people can complete it in a week and trade it in the next week, and suddenly it kills back catalogue sales. So The Last of Us 12 hours, you know, if you're really into the game, you could have done that in a week. You could have traded it in for 20 quid, or $20, $30, whatever, the following week. And then, and then, and then immediately, Naughty Dog and Sony aren't selling any more copies of The Last of Us. Everyone's picking it up pre-owned. And that was a big problem. That's why you started to get all these games that shoehorned multiplayer in it in order to try and lengthen the life cycle of the game so that they could keep selling new copies for longer. Pre-owned market is pretty much, you know, it's in 
terminal decline now. Um, and, um, you know, and digital has also accelerated that to a degree. So I don't, I do wonder if some of the stuff that we're seeing at the moment is actually um, a side effect. You know, six years, The Last of Us Part Two has been in the works. That means we're looking at what the industry looked like six years ago. That's when it was being put in plan and that's when it was being planned out maybe even four years ago when they could have changed the plan and sometimes we don't see these the trends that we that we, we're seeing now about you know you even got people like io interactive turning out games that look triple a quite quickly um uh maybe we will start seeing the likes of ea and ubisoft and activision to catch up with that sort of uh, mindset in you know a couple of years time when when you know they've finished these games and they're moving on to the next one i don't know um it is a there is a well, yeah, I don't know why the. I mean, The Last of Us Part Two being twenty-five to thirty hours long is why I don't own it. Well, yeah, I mean, so, um, so this is the experience I had with Jedi Fallen Order. That I, I got it, I played it, I was enjoying it. It was about eight hours in. I thought, oh, I wonder how much more of that game there is left to play, and I found out that I was about quarter of the way through, and I was just astonished that that game would be thirty hours long. And I, when Layden said this, that was the game that I thought of. And actually, there was one of a series of games where I was trying to find something to play, and I was just bouncing off game after game because I'd play it, be enjoying it, felt like I'd seen a lot of what the game had to offer, and then realised that basically I was just going to be asked to do the same things for the next twenty-five hours. Um, and I don't know why. And I would like to, because the length of games is commoditized in a way that, like, the length of a movie is not. If anything. People like movies being shorter, you know, like you wouldn't want a 60 hour movie that wouldn't feel better. But for some reason in games, that is, even if the game itself doesn't necessarily justify the extra heft. That's increasingly how I feel, at least. Yeah. Okay. I got to I got to reminisce here about being in high school and going to Blockbuster Video. And I didn't have a whole lot of like spending money, but I wanted to watch movies. And if a movie came on two VHS tapes, uh, I, I knew that, you know, like, okay, I'm going to get my money's worth because it's at least going to be a long movie. So this, maybe there's some kind of Venn diagram of broken people who like movies because they are long because <laughs> they, they see it purely as a, this fills a lot of time. But I would say, isn't, aren't the words in high school pretty key there, Brendan? Are you yeah, and you know what? This, I'm not anymore. This industry and this customer base kind of treats a lot yeah. of the everything like we never got out of high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, well, yeah. One thing that is absolutely absurd and almost perverse about this, I think, is we're we're talking about the difference between like a ten to fifteen hour game and a and a thirty hour game, and how it's a back of the box bullet point and it's like a selling point for people, and it makes a big difference in how many total unit sales these these games will rack up. But if you look at how many people actually get more than that 10 to 15 hour mark into the game, it's, I mean, I mean, I I just remember like the websites about Xbox 360 achievement tracking and they would tell you like, Hey, there were only, you know, a quarter of the people that, that got past the third level of the game and got that, that achievement emblem. And And it's just, it's stunning that we spend years crunching developers to make these bloated, padded out experiences for an audience of people who are not going to go through it, who but are still only buying it in part because we've told them how bloated and long it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, it reminds me that I mean, Uncharted 4, I just think of lots of Naughty Dog games because The Last of Us was part of the uh, the example given. But there's a sequence in Uncharted 4 which is pretty amazing. It's like a it's like a Moroccan street market that kind of turns into a foot chase, it turns into a motorbike chase. And it's just an amazing sequence, I think. And I was chatting to my partner, Laura, about it and I kind of wanted her to see it. And I didn't have my old save. So I was like, I'll just play Uncharted 4 to get to this sequence so she can have a look at it. And for whatever reason, I just like, oh, it didn't seem like it was too deep into the game, about like halfway through. And I tried, I really tried to get back to that point. But on the second playthrough, it just caught, it just threw a sharp light on 
the, the number of similar sections that you were just playing through again and again. You'd like traverse a bunch of crumbling pillars only to kind of move through a doorway to get to another bunch of crumbling pillars and then another bunch of crumbling pl- pillars, then another bunch of crumbling pillars. And while it's all very well done, you know, it, it's clear, it seems so clear to me that this was just the same basic idea repeated over and over again to string out the length of the game. And I'd be really interested to know, like just be a fly on the wall in the meetings where these kind of aspects of the game are discovered. Like, do you think that sort of length is actually laid down that specifically? Like, we need this game to be 25 hours long. We need this game. Because the because Uncharted 3 was 20 hours, this game has to nudge 30. Do you think that's actually part of how games are even conceptualised? I don't know about length, but I always, up to a point, like you always, every time there was a new Assassin's Creed or a new Grand Theft Auto, it was all about how big, the, how much large, I know these these aren't the sort of games you're talking about, but they, they, they always talked about how much bigger the map was. This one's the size of uh, New York. This is the size of all of North America. I remember it was, it was a game, I think Codemasters game called Fuel, which was like, this is the equivalent size of Canada or something. And I just went, what? I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> why, why, why would I want that? Um, but, um, uh, but it, 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 so I think there's definitely a thing around size. Um, but um, but that's the question. Like you, but you see it in all the interviews. Like I, I whenever I, I end up in a roundtable interview with a consumer journalist, it becomes it's almost like the first question that gets asked: How long is it? I'm not obviously we're not remotely interested in that sort of stuff anyway. But I'm always always taken off guard when that's such an important question: How many guns are in it? How much bigger is it? Um, yeah. There was one, um, one thing that Leighton actually said that <clears throat> I thought was quite insightful. Um, he didn't make much of the point. But he said, I mean, this was kind of in his summing up. Now, his main thrust is basically that it's always been fifteen ninety nine for a game. The cost of games have come up, gone up 10 times in his career. There's uh, no elasticity at all on the price point, but a huge volatility in the cost line. And this generation is going to be the final straw. This is going to be the generation where, because it is going to get more expensive, forget by how much, it can't get, his his position is it can't get any more expensive than it is now because it's already stretched to breaking point. But this is the generation. So so some solution for the AAA publishers is going to have to be looked at. And what he was saying was, you know, if you, if you could just try and put a lot of effort, you know, a lot of effort into a shorter game, spend less time, less money, so you need to sell fewer copies... Maybe that's one way of doing it. But he did say, I would, fi- you know, personally, he would like to see this. I would finish more games, first of all. And just like a well-edited piece of literature or a movie, looking at the discipline around that could give us tighter, more compelling content. It did make me think, actually, yes, concision, being tight and, you know, contained, is actually an admired quality in literature and it's admired quality in music and it's admired quality in film but it is not but it just but we're talking here like how you just can't do that in games and expect to sell a lot of copies what does that say about games i mean it strikes me as slightly depressing if anything it is depressing i feel i feel that that's that's what chris or brendan sorry i don't remember who said that earlier about how the games audience is just getting older i feel like maybe that's not what we're looking for in a game anymore, that it's long and there's uh, many guns and et cetera, et cetera. But we are looking for those more curated and focused um, games, but we're not maybe not the main audience anymore. And younger people who are in high school or whatever are maybe still looking for 100 hours game to to get lost in because they have no other responsibility or, you know, be an adult and stuff. Mm-hmm. No, I think no, I think you think you're. I think we're, yeah, I think there's a generational thing. I don't. There, there are obviously. I just. I think obviously, but also people want to. There's that thing where it's all about engagement and keeping them in the games for longer and making them, you know, part of the world and wanting to buy the merchandise and then buy the DLC and then buy the season pass and um, and I know we're talking about story-driven action adventure games, but that's in there as well. I, I I do wonder if that's part of the driving force. If you give someone a 10 hour game um, and it's over and they're done with it you know they've discarded they've forgotten it they've moved on to the next one that's not a way of that's not a, that's, that's not the way of doing it I, but I at the same time you know what I always find I do wonder I was going I going back to the generation thing this is a complete it's a bit of a side point it doesn't answer your question I'm sorry Matt but um, <laughs> I, I've, I've actually rediscovered console games as an adult now because of the Switch um, and I think that's a really interesting thing because I, I 
I'm I'm rattling through. I've, I'm playing games for a lot longer. I'm able to. It's able to fit into my into my life so much more. And I think the Switch actually speaks to the opportunity that exists for PlayStation and Xbox and PC as well. In that, I, I don't know. There's no data to back this up. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Switch success is because Nintendo has found an audience of gamers who don't buy console games anymore, and that's that's older people um, who you know. I, I, it's such a retro console. It's got so much nostalgia in it, and uh, it, it, they've got so many good games. And I mean, I've I played Zelda for 140 hours. I haven't played a game for 140 hours before then since I was a teenager. And to and to um and to, to and you know, I, then I played completed Odyssey and Fire Emblem, and these are huge games. Because it fits around my life, you know, I can play it on the toilet, I can play it on the in the bath, I can play it when I got, I got on the train, I play it wherever. Um, and it's console games; they're not handheld games. But um, and I look at that, and I think if I was PlayStation, I was Xbox, I'd be thinking, or EA or Ubisoft, thinking, wow, there's actually a big audience here, people that perhaps are time poor, but still want these experiences. And you can be more concise. You can be more. It's interesting. So, um, yeah, you can make games on this, Chris. If if you were a PlayStation, you'd be looking at this thinking, we had the freaking Vita, <laughs> yeah, right. and it fit in people's lives perfectly, and it Yeah, t- I, mean, I, yeah I, I don't yeah. know. I, I, but I think that's and, and, right, though. I think, yeah. Not but, that but I'm I, also, I, I think I think you're correct, Chris, because like, the, the Switch does do that, and it does offer people that. But I don't think it's just like a, a more convenient way to play mega-long games. I do like playing the occasional mega-long game, but I just wish that fewer games that needn't be as bloated were as bloated as they are it's a difficult question because it it, it straddles both just taste but also the economics of making games and also just the way things change and what technology allows you to do so it's hard to like sum up all at once i can just know that like after bouncing off five games and being a bit depressed at how much i would have to play to reach the end of the experience see the end of the story i started playing a plague tale which is a, a sobo studios game which i it kind of came and went and it's a fantastic game it's brilliantly made there's very very few collectibles it's a story that you play through it's very very well done really inventive no idea out stays at welcome 11 hours you're finished it's just fantastic and it does feel like a throwback now to, to have a game produced to that level but the problem with that of course is that a play tale probably didn't sell that that many and actually i think what layden is kind of saying is oh, what i took it to mean there's a lot of room for inference in what he says but what i took it to mean is that you know he, he wishes the triple a publishers were making more games like remedies control which they used to um, but they don't anymore but of course remedies control also didn't do very well so yeah, <laughs> maybe this yeah. is all you know perfunctory i, I Maybe the test is that new Spider-Man game, right? It's a, it's apparently half the length of the last Spider-Man game, which for an open world game is actually quite short. Um, I think you probably get through that story in 20 hours. So what, this is a 10, 15 hour experience? Um, um, big launch title for PlayStation 5. Who, you know, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the moment we all realise, that the industry realises, oh, hang on, we can uh crank out a, a a sort of semi-sequel to a past game that's 15 hours long. i mean they obviously tried it with uncharted lost legacy um but i you know i hopefully that's thing i'm probably one of the few people that when it was revealed the new spider-man game they revealed it wasn't as going to be as long as the previous one and i was genuinely pleased. no i was i was pleased because <laughs> that that's, that's a yeah that's another game where i got about a third in realized Oh, actually, this is... I'm nowhere near the end and stop playing it. It's too long, in my opinion, that first game. So, yeah, I'm, I'm mm. with you on that. I actually wonder, like, looking at the studios that Microsoft has bought, do you think Microsoft is thinking more in this direction? Because this kind of stuff, these, like, shorter, you know, still well-executed, well highly polished games, but they're certainly not, like, you know, Call of Duty level. I mean, I, studios like Double Fine, that, uh, Ninja Theory, they seem to... That's the games they traffic in, right? That's what they do. Well, that's that's what's exciting because they were making games. I think people use the word um, indie, which are like games that you know, even Ninja Theory's games. They look really, really amazing. But they don't use that many assets, um, like you know, Hellblade. They don't use that many assets. It doesn't have it to that many different game mechanics. It's 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 it looks AAA. It's short and it's and it's but it actually doesn't expand that much. I do wonder because Xbox obviously subscription 
means that suddenly these games might find an audience that they wouldn't have got otherwise. People who didn't want to spend $60 on a 15-hour experience now don't need to. They can just be Game Pass subscribers. And that opens up a big audience for these sort of games that perhaps didn't get played previously. And then that might expand out. You know, if, if you've got 10 million people, which is how many are in Game Pass, playing the next Ninja Theory title, um, or Hellblade 2, um, and they, they tell all their friends about how brilliant it is and people who aren't in Game Pass end up buying it, you might end up you know, seeing this sort of game Get, get some traction. I, I also think it, it means that you might end up seeing more budget on these games that you wouldn't have got because um, people like Microsoft and whoever else launches PlayStation, whoever else launches subscription services in the future, um, view view these games as a, as a way to bring people into their into their ecosystem um, uh, in between the, when they, in between the big Halos and the big um, uh, Gears of War and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I think subscription is going to become. I think if you're for those type of games, subscription is the best, is the really exciting yeah. thing. So I think it might, it might, might be that. It might be the answer. Yeah. Uh, to that. Yeah, because I don't, I don't think the just make it cheaper um, thing is really going to work or be sustainable. I, th- I think to have even in that new Spider-Man side story compete against everything else and be as possible uh, as massive a hit as as everything else then you would need it to lower the price so so far it, it just wouldn't well, couldn't make well, and up i also think it lacks ambition like sean Layden goes let's make games cheap we, we can't expand the audience so when there's no, people we don't have as many gamers playing games so let's make games cheaper if you listen to phil spencer eve Guillermo, um, um uh, uh, andrew wilson and all those sort of guys they're not talking about making games cheaper they're talking about oh how do we get to the next four billion gamers or this kind of stuff that that's their that's what they're talking about yeah. their, their their answer to the problem is let's get more people playing games sure. which is the mm. ambitious one but i don't i don't think that's necessarily the case i actually think that sean Layden's just thinking in more of an old school playstation way playstation used to be perfectly happy with making a wide range of products that don't cost what mm. last of us part two costs what god of war costs knowing that there are three to four million people who will buy that product within the audience just not worrying about selling 15 to 20 million units but making three or four games that would sell four million units each because not everybody has to buy everything right so not every game being this grand bet now, i'm not saying playstation doesn't do that anymore but i think that's actually more what he was getting at is why why isn't this game more frequently on the slate this 12 this 10 to 15 hour game that doesn't cost as much as that and then i I take what you mean you know how do you compete with the value of a fifa or call of duty but you know what i i I, we're not talking about them having to sell that many copies that's the whole proposition isn't it like you spend half half as much you sell half as much that's the deal right but you had the um you've had this fewer bigger better trend over the last decade and the reason that took hold and game companies started like putting more and more money behind their triple a stuff and and cutting the rest was because the rest weren't selling uh and it wasn't it wasn't always um you know like a a full price point kind of product like i i, I think in the ps2 generation especially it was super common to see things launch f- from a major publisher anywhere from 20 to to 50 dollars and it was just sort of part of the ecosystem. But like all those kind of easy to miss stray games went away when, when um, the publishers narrowed their yeah. catalogs with the, the jump, jump to HD made the, the development costs go up and they had too many flops. And they just were like, we're not going to bother with that anymore because even the upside on them well, just I agree. Perfect. And Brenda, I actually think Fewer Bigger Better has been a real shame. Uh, I was trying to think how many really interesting. I mean, uh, what, you know, there, ha- there, ha- there are still AAA games that get released for twenty, twenty dollars, twenty five dollars. You know, as I say, we are mentioned Uncharted Lost Legacy, Ratchet and Clank on PlayStation, which I'm a big fan of. That on PlayStation Four, amazing game was, was was a lot shorter and a lot cheaper. So there are examples of it, um, but they are they are the exceptions. But the but the the, the um, when was the last time we had like a really interesting AAA game? Like I, when was the, I'm trying to think? I mean, there's a few. Last, there's a handful. Like I'm last, a last of us, fan. Last of Us Part Two. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and God of War. I mean, to be honest, Sony yeah. does do the best job of this type of stuff, really, don't they? Yeah, and they they do. Yeah, and um, I think it, it comes from the platform holders, though, right? Because they're the ones that are a bit like, you know, we're going to sell consoles on the back of this. They can take a few more risks. But I remember when was when was the last time we get something like Bioshock from a for a big third part, um, a big 
you know, third-party publisher. I, I, and I can understand. I'm not blaming them for being risk-averse because, you know, as Brendan pointed out, um, costs started to spiral. So they, you know, they cut all the games that they just took gambles on, not, you know, all the brutal legends and all those weird things, you know, games they didn't know if they were going to do very well. And then they and then they started to focus in on on the big games, and that that kind of gave birth to the indie scene in a really successful way, because that's where a lot of the innovations taking place. And um, and so you know there has been, it's not all been super negative, but I I just would love it if I could every time I go to an E3, it's always the one game that gets announced which is just weird and clearly cost them a fortune that I suddenly get excited about, even if I'm not into it. I remember when Ubisoft revealed Starlink. I was like, yes, this is what the industry needs. But it did, it did so badly, though. Like, it, it, really, yeah. it didn't sell, so that's, that's just yeah. a shame. I think this thing, because I, 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 want, I want Sean Layden to be right, because this is an experience I've been having all year. Just like, I want the kind of game he's talking about. I want that sort of tighter experience, but that doesn't skimp on production values and is about making sure players see the end and not just... To whenever they get bored or whatever, but the problem is every time every example we come up with seems to be of a game that really didn't do very well. And like I'm getting misty eyed for you know you just mentioned Brutal Legend, Chris. It, that's the thing, right? Activision used to put out Brutal Legend. It doesn't anymore. But of course, Brutal Legend didn't do anything at market, did it? <laughs> Activision oh, never yeah, put right. out Brutal Legend. That's right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> they, they bought it, it came over with Vivendi, then they dropped it, EA picked it up, EA oh, picked it up at E3, <laughs> Activision sued yeah, yeah, that's right, to have that's it. Right. Well, I actually, I actually, like, I actually wrote oh my an gosh, opinion column just... about that very thing that resulted in my getting banned from freelance for an entire year because Activision threatened to sue the company because I was so upset about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh my god. <laughs> act, act, the, the Brutal Legend saga was just all-time yeah, yeah, dirtbag. Yeah, yeah, no, that's it's top yeah, I, five. I was, easy. Yeah, that, I felt it was right, I felt it was righteous anger, but apparently it was um, yeah, it transgressed a few laws there or something. But yeah, but I mean actually, I, that that you know the other examples are stuff like Dead Space and you know that that again another franchise that's uh, taking a dirt nap at the moment. But yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. so the, but, but another. But, but Resident Evil was a, is a franchise that sort of found its new audience and actually did the things that Sean Layden said. Yeah, that's a good Because Resident Evil got a game that got bigger and bigger and bigger. I remember Resident Evil 6, three different storylines, and if you complete those, there's a fourth one at the end, and it will take you 40 hours, and it was rubbish, and it was a catastrophe, and Capcom went, ah, you know, for the next one, we're going to make, we're going to make them cheaper now, we're going to make them quicker. Um, and we're going to focus in on what they do, which is horror. Um, and we're going to use some clever technology. Resident Evil 7 was built relatively quickly. Um, and Resident Evil 2 Remake was also created relatively quickly by AAA standards. And those games are shorter. They don't feature too much of the bloat. Um, there's not, you know, they didn't chuck in tons of multiplayer modes and all this kind of thing. And the result of that, those games, those games sold, as you, the exact example of you're giving, yeah, that, yeah. Actually, those games sold less than Resident Evil 6 and Resident Evil 5 but they were more profitable and and they're working for Capcom. And now Capcom's got to a point where they're putting out a Resident Evil game pretty much every year. Um, and it, it's, it's, it feels old school. Yeah. Um, but it's an example of actually, if we try to find an example of, one, of a of company doing shorter games and it working, there's one, Resident Evil. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like Square Enix have also tried to do this, but also kind of fallen short as well. I'm not sure there's too many examples but actually another person that gave a talk at game lab was um phil spencer and one of the things he said we got an article about this that the difference with this new generation would be uh, not really about graphics but it'd be about immersion and it actually struck me that, that a lot of the stuff we're hearing about the next gen tech is about making huge games sort of play better which is uh, made maybe shows that the platform holders aren't exactly thinking along these lines but uh brendan you also um picked out something in what phil spencer had said about uh, the way the way it's looking at the kind of the business strategy for the next Xbox. Do you want to introduce us to that? Yeah, I'll go over this quickly. It's, it's just a part of the Microsoft strategy that I think uh, hasn't really been focused on, but I, I, I think could be uh, pretty important here in, in the future. And, and Spencer apparently does too. In a Game Lab uh, interview, he was asked by Seth Schissel of the New York Times about the all-access program, uh, which is a cell phone like payment program for for xbox if you're not familiar with it where you sign up uh you commit to a two-year contract they do a credit check i think and then they give you a uh, xbox one s or xbox one x and you get xbox game pass and live gold and you don't pay anything up front you just have to you know kick in 
uh, 30 bucks or something, 20, 30 bucks their way uh, every month for, for two years. And I think instead of asking people to, to in the middle of a pandemic induced recession slash depression, instead of asking people to like pony up $600 plus, you know, $100 for for games and then another probably $100 controller because those seems to get more expensive every generation. Um, it's it's better to just like say, give us 30 bucks a month and you can have this thing for, you know, the next two years. And here's our Game Pass service that will make sure you have new stuff to play on it that whole time. And like that strikes me as just a interesting, compelling business model for for the industry right now. And I've I've been surprised actually that um, Microsoft hasn't been more aggressive with this because they have been testing it yeah. for yeah, a couple it of years. It didn't work for them uh, initially. They 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 tested it, then they stopped testing it, and they brought it back. But I think the thing that's made it more interesting this time is the fact that all Xbox, you know, all Xbox Series X games will work on Xbox One. It starts to feel more like a smartphone business. You know, particularly from a Microsoft perspective, in that you know, doesn't you can you can you can get all access and get an Xbox One and get all the games for a couple of years, and then you can upgrade when you want to upgrade, and you can upgrade to whatever version of the hardware you want. You can upgrade to Series X when it comes out, or you can upgrade to Series X Pro when they decide to do that or whatever. And you know, it's um, they, they the like, Series gives an indication of what they're planning to do with hardware. We might get a new Xbox every couple of years, um, and that is very smartphone, right? It's very much. Uh, get people in a subscription thing, get them paying a contract. And yeah, it, it, it's, and it, it's both, it's both more consumer friendly in the sense that um, it's more affordable, at least, at least up front. Um, but it, it also is a way to this, this idea of, of, um, of, of, you know, your games being play, play backwards and forwards and, you know, new consoles don't necessarily invalidate the old one um, is, uh, is it, it sort of fits with that. It looks more and more like a smartphone market. I just, I, it, but they've not had that much success with it in the trials and the tests and stuff. But um, the fact that what Phil Spencer was saying, that this is a bigger deal for them now, I hope that means actually properly... I mean, I, I suspect that means they're going to be getting behind it. They're going to be marketing it. They're going to be promoting it. You're going to be walking into retailers and it's going to be... Uh, when we can go back to walking into retailers um, and there'll be there'll be someone there to sort of discuss their people's payment plans and things. I think that's that's interesting. But the thing is, this stuff has existed before. Like You can buy like games consoles on... Um, a contract in a way like yeah. there's all these catalogue companies and stuff I bought I bought so my I bought my Xbox 360 when I first became my first job in the games press I had to buy my own console and that's how I bought my Xbox 360 which was on finance uh, because and, and like to Brennan's point like there's no way I could have bought one up front there's just there was not, no money in my bank account the, the wage I was offered was very very poor um, and that was the only way like feasibly the only way is you pay slightly more than the thing is worth up front just so you can have it now and you're kind of locked in for a couple of years and I know a lot of people do avoid that sort of stuff but I think what Brennan's saying is correct is that there's going to be you know more, more than a few people who are in a position where that's going to be the one way where they can and like while, while it might not be the ideal way it is a way and I think a couple of I think all pass. access is actually also a um a discount over oh it's a discount is it? Okay. buying everything separately over that long haul. now you can oftentimes find like a deal on game pass or something um so maybe it's not the absolute cheapest way to get it but it, it's it is a it's not paying a premium for this and i think gamers now are really um used to subscription services it's it's just kind of it, the idea that you're paying out every month for something isn't as alienating to them as as maybe it used to be like if you're paying every month for game pass anyways and you can just like pay an extra five bucks or something and hey you have the shiny new hardware when you want it when all the game pass stuff is going to be like hey optimize for series x like i don't yeah i don't see how this you know um doesn't have appeal for people and I think you're mentioning gamers are used to uh, paying every month now, but not only gamers, but also people who don't play video games are used to these kind of models. So I think this is really a great proposition to just attract more people to playing games as well. I think it needs to be supported with the right games on Game Pass, of course. I think that's so I mean that's something that I'm thinking about, at least as someone who hasn't subscribed to Game Pass yet, because the 
games are not on there for me. Not everything at least and uh, it has the potential to attract a lot of people to playing more games with this new generation uh, for a cost that should be uh, quite low Mm. i think it's also yeah what you say brendan said actually the big difference now is you know yeah you can even get zero percent finance stuff buying you could always buy console and finance the difference this time is that people are already subscribing to game pass so what you're actually asking people to do is that that monthly cost you're paying are you happy chucking a few, a little bit extra on top of that monthly cost and you get the hardware as well? And if you're, and you know, people might think, well, that's the cost of a couple of pints or I don't know how much actually it is. <laughs> I haven't looked it up, but it, it might be the cost of a, a couple of a meal out or something. And they go, well, in that case, I get the console and, and, and it's far more, it's far more manageable. And I was, I was giving Microsoft money every month anyway for Game Pass. So it, it, it's, it's, it's potentially more interesting. I, I, I remember writing about All Access like years and years and years and years and years ago. And, and so I, I, I'm a little sceptical because um, back then I think I got caught up in the, uh, the, the, the talk from, the, from Xbox about how this was a way that, you know, we're going to sell so many more consoles and it'd be so much more, you know, easy for people and we're going to reach new customers. And then it just, then they just stopped doing it. Well, yeah, because um, the problem but, um, was that they were offering people an Xbox One. I think there is there are different factors now one being a genuine hardware transition which would be attractive in, in its own right but, but to Marie's point though I wonder if it will would be more attractive for people that just wouldn't ever conceive of paying three it's not, not about like I don't have the money right now but like they just wouldn't ever want to pay 400 pounds for a console right maybe this is a way where it starts to look a little bit more attractive to them in general and one thing we've seen from covid is we've seen the uptick in in the hardware sales and uh, there's a lot of people who don't really haven't really identified with gaming in a while that have kind of gone back to it because they've had time on their hands like okay you know i can get a playstation and try whatever god of war spider-man the last of us but like that just that little change so i'm, I'm not sure that way of thinking that that part of the consciousness was was as present five years ago as it is right now. Ga- ga- oh, no. Gaming has has kind of spread out just a little bit more now where something like this, like for example, when my brother, every console he's, well, every console he's had for the past few years has been given to him by me when, I, when I'm done with them, basically. I think that what, even if it was slightly more expensive, I think that the idea of paying, as Brendan says, you know, one price and not only do you get a console, but you get a service that has games and, online play and all this stuff and it's an affordable price each month would make infinitely more sense to him than paying 400 to 500 pounds straight out of his wallet like i think that that's a hurdle for him just just that sort of that thought experiment of what it costs he wouldn't do the calculation say well i'll get this much use out of it over years it's just that's too much money but a monthly charge sort of makes a lot of sense i I think stuff like this doesn't really get picked up by the games press because the games press largely buys into the generational transition from the the kind of the technical what can games do now perspective rather than this kind of new way of thinking about the business end well yeah that's interesting actually we're talking about the last when we're talking about the last subject about shorter games and the generational thing i i i was i started looking at my friend group my, my friend group away from the games industry and how many people and everybody that i was friends with had a playstation 2 an xbox or a uh, gamecube and then the next generation I'd say 20% of them dropped away. And by the next generation, 60% of them dropped away. And now I'm sitting there thinking, I actually don't know if any of my friends that I hang out with, um, uh, well, I don't hang out with them at the moment, but when I, when I on Zoom or whatever, um, would they get a PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series X? I think a couple of them might be interested, at least initially, but they're all wary of the fact they bought a PS4 and then, and then sort of faded away from it um, uh, because life got too much for them. And actually, I wonder if... If the fact that it, the cost were if the cost was lower, um, if there was a way for them to get these new machines and try and you know for for a more affordable or at least a more manageable way, they they'd be more inclined to um to jump in anything that bring I think and generally I you know anything that brings down the barrier to entry for people into the console space is 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 important and I, I think all access is cool I think it's interesting um and when I was saying that I was skeptical I was I was, I was skeptical because of what happened in the past I'm aware though that. And I, I agree with everything everyone said that things are different now, and um, and the service is different now, and what's on offer is different now, and, and it does sound more compelling. I think it just I think it needs marketing and pushing and explaining because there are Microsoft have so many subscription services. There's Xbox Live, there's Game Pass, there's Game Pass Ultimate, there's All Access. It's quite a lot, 
Um, and it is, it's quite confusing, um, which is probably the reason why they're doing so many press events, just continually hammering home all these different things that they're offering so that, you know, eventually we all understand them. Well, what we, but, yeah, um, what we do have, though, is we have Phil Spencer on record saying that this is going to be, and he uses the word crucial, to, to launch in this next generation. What would be really interesting is to see how Microsoft does push this, whether we're going to see adverts on posters, sides of buses and the London Underground that effectively market Xbox, just just the brand Xbox. It's just as like a monthly service, right? It would involve uh, getting a, a console, but in terms of the way it's communicated to people, it would be like, this is how much you pay each month and, you've, and, you're, yeah. and you're in kind of thing and, and they can do that now they're, they're seeing the box as a service too which is which is a pretty interesting transition um a bit like those uh, mobile ads you yeah. get a picture of the hardware here's a picture of a bunch of big games that are coming out on it or are on it and a, and the price is 34.99 you yeah. know month two year minimum term blah 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 yeah that'd be that, is, that would be be interesting well Phil the, Spencer, the price hasn't been it. announced Ooh. right sorry go marie no, sorry, I was just going to say, I don't know if the price of, of this has been announced. I'm assuming it hasn't. No, but I think they will have to be very, very careful in how they price this, though, because I think there's a very thin line between uh, pricing it too low and they won't make any money or pricing it too high and people just won't, won't, won't bite. So I'm just curious to see how they're going to price this and I'm very curious to see the, how they're going to market this as well. I think it's, So prices start from nine, for, for the current consoles... Um, 90, uh, $20 or £18 uh, that starts so I think that gets you an S all digital and you get a subscription to Ultimate Game Pass which includes Xbox Live and um, obviously games on Xbox One and PC and then it, I guess it, I, I, don't, I don't have all the details here but I think the price go, go up if you want the S or the X or the um, yeah. and then it goes up I but then I, I guess then we're probably not going to see it for less than 40 bucks for the next gen Based on that, given that you can buy an Xbox One S for less than 200 quid now. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing is, it's going to be, it's not going to be Netflix, is it? It's going to be more like a subscription to a sort of cable sports channel or something. There's going to be a specialist aspect to it. But it's interesting. And I think one of the things they really need to bear in mind is it's going to sound like the kind of deal that, as Chris said, is widely available. But generally, you end up paying about 20% more than what you actually get. Um, and I think they're going to need to work very hard to reassure people if what you're saying is true, Brendan, that this isn't about getting more money out of you because you can't pay up front. It's actually about making sure you can pay at all. Uh, that's that's a crucial distinction that this kind of deal doesn't you, you doesn't usually represent. You, you very rarely get that kind of 0% finance thing without there being a catch. Um, so, yeah. Well, I think we're going to leave it there because we've been talking long enough and I look forward to to James coming back in on Monday and having to edit this conversation down but uh, yeah thanks very much for talking to us and we'll uh, see you next week oh yeah you can read all news and stuff on Games Industry Dobbies <laughs> news and stuff <laughs> <laughs>